when you read the book Education, page 250, it says that when God made the family, he made them not only to worship together, but also to work together. It's a real privilege when you can work with your family in ministry. It's God's ideal, brothers and sisters. And so I'm grateful that the Lord has done it for us. And the good news is that God is no respecter of persons. It's what he's done for one, he can do for many. So I pray that the Lord will inspire all of us. It is our closing message. And the Lord has shown us many things. Amen. He's helped us understand how this work is to get finished. But brothers and sisters, I would be remiss if I did not make mention of one of my most favorite topics to discuss, which is God's message of health reform. We must understand that health reform is designed by God to assist us in finishing the work. Many a times people do not necessarily see the connection between health reform or the gospel of health, but I'm praying that there'll be some gems here. Now, I know that we have many professionals and people here, but I want to say this, and I say this with all due respect. I really do. It is one thing to be in the health work. It is an altogether different thing to be a medical missionary. We are not to think that by default, because we are physicians, or because we are nurses, or because we're anything in between, that that by default makes us medical missionaries. We are to understand that the great work of God is to bring about both the medical and the missionary work and combine them, that we may present to the people the gospel of health and therefore we're going to talk about that in this final closing meeting because you're going to find that that's what God is going to use to help us to truly do an efficient work we are told in inspiration that the medical missionary work is the gospel in practice and a gospel that's not practical is a worthless gospel and it is in volume 7 of the testimonies to the church page 62 that we are told that we have come to a time where every member of the church is to take hold of medical missionary work. You should not know medical missionaries, you should be one. Amen? You should not know medical missionary work, you should be one. And I want to share some gems with you as we prepare to close that I'm praying by the grace of God will be very helpful to us because we're going to look at a very important topic that we have entitled God's great desire. And it's a Bible emphasis on health and that we understand that in finishing the work, there are going to be many things that the Lord has called us to do, but we must understand how health reform plays its role in helping us to accomplish this work. So before we begin, begin we're going to once again approach the Lord in prayer. So as much as you're able to, if you would, please kneel with me. Otherwise, reverently bow your heads where you are as we approach the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for this beautiful Sabbath day that you have given to us. We thank you so much for the Christian fellowship, for all of the great things that have transpired here. 
We thank you for the way that your meat was truly feeding our souls. And Lord, we have now arrived at the point of our final presentation for this weekend. We're just asking for double portions of your spirit as we begin to embrace a very critical part of the work that you've called us to do that will enable us to finish the work, which is health reform. Please, dear God, abide with us now, we pray. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to turn your Bible to the book of Revelation, chapter 14. In Revelation, the 14th chapter, we started our meetings talking about the third angel, and of course, we've been going over the principles of the third angel throughout our meetings, and now we will close also on the third angel. And the Bible says in Revelation 14, I want you to see what it says. Now, we looked at verses 9 to 11 where it proclaims the warning. It tells us about the beast and how he will seek to infuse his mark upon the people of God and how we are warned to not receive it. Those who do not receive the mark of the beast, the Bible refers to them in verse 12 where it says, here is the what? Patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus Christ. Now, understanding this, we want to be counted amongst these patient saints. Can you say amen to that? We want to be counted amongst those patient saints. Wouldn't it be a tragedy to go through all of this, our years of being perhaps second, third, fourth generation, Seventh-day Adventist, hearing all these messages of truth in Advent hope and all these other things just to get to a point that Jesus still looks us in the eyes and says, I never knew you. That would be a tragedy. So we're not in this to waste time. We're in this because we love the Lord and we want to be ready for his soon coming. Amen? So therefore, when we look at this revelation of those who will not receive the mark of the beast, the Bible refers to them as patient saints. Now, in order for us to be counted amongst these saints, we must clearly be patient. Would you agree? That's why the Bible refers to them as patient saints. So therefore, that's the experience we need to have is God's patience. Now, if the truth be told, many of us today are impatient people. Many of us today are suffering with impatience. We don't have long suffering. We do not know how to endure. We struggle, struggle, struggle. And we're saying, Lord, how can I be counted amongst this patient saint group when I keep falling every time and losing my patience? And I believe that there's a reason why. Do you believe a God is a God of order? Go to the book of 1 Corinthians 14. In 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, I want you to see what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter. When you get there, please say amen. Now, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, notice what it says in verse 33. You know, God was obviously counseling through Paul through the church of Corinth because there was tremendous confusion as it related to the glossolalia, the usage of tongues, and all of these things being done in an inappropriate manner. And God had to educate the people to the point that in verse 33, he now makes this point where he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, for God is not the author of confusion but of peace as in all churches of the saints. God says when there's confusion there, I'm not in it. I'm not the author of confusion, he says, but the author of peace. Therefore, he's imploring us to be like him, and he gives a revelation of himself, and he tells us what we ought to be in verse 40, where he says, let all things be done how? Decently and in 
order. The reason why God wants us to function decently and in order is because he is a God of order. Heaven is a place of order. Therefore, we should be a people of order. Amen? Now, understanding that God is a God of order, God also, he made an order as it relates to walking up the ladder of grace spoken of in 2 Peter chapter 1. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1 with me. In 2 Peter, the first chapter, you'll find that God, he presents to you and I this ladder of grace that as we climb it, we enter into the experience of present truth. That's why 2 Peter 1 and verse 12 says that he is not negligent to establish us in the present truth. If we climb this ladder properly, we will receive the things God has called us to receive. Now, God is a God of order, amen? So therefore, what we're about to review must take place in our lives in order, amen? Notice what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. The Bible says in 2 Peter 1, 4, "...whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust." Now God begins to introduce this ladder. And beside all this, giving all diligence, add to your what? Faith. What comes next? Virtue. So does virtue come first, then faith, or faith first, then virtue? So faith first, virtue second. What comes after virtue? Knowledge. What comes after knowledge? Temperance. What comes after temperance? Patience. Wait a minute. I think we just find out why we struggle with patience. Is God a God of order? Yes, he is. God is a God of order. Do you want to be counted amongst the patient saints? Yes, but yet we find ourselves struggling being patient. You want to know why? Because in order for you and I to be patient saints, we must first learn to be temperate saints. No wonder Councils on Diets and Foods, page 50, says, an intemperate man can never be a patient man. And this is why when we were given health and temperance, God gave it to us because he understood that rightly received health and temperance is designed to help us learn how to not only be temperate saints, but patient saints that will keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. This is how health reform becomes that right arm of that third angel's message. And this is why God found it necessary for us to go through this topic called God's great desire. We must understand the power of health reform as it relates to the gospel experience. You see, I want you to remember what the Bible says. When you look at the ideal that God has set up for all mankind, the ideal is found in that wonderful little book, 3 John in verse 2. Now, I want you to consider this question, how important is our health to God? Look at what it says in 3 John and verse 2. You remember this text very well. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Now, here's the question. Is God's great desire for us to prosper and be in health? Yes or no? Yes, God's great desire. Now, he said above all things. That means God puts health on a very high level. Would you agree? Now, here it is that God says, above all things, I wish that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So now here's my next question. How healthy is healthy? You ever thought about that? Now, there's a reason why I asked this question. The reason I asked this question is because many a times when individuals approach health, we look at health differently. I'll give you an example. Today, obesity 
in the medical field is officially recognized as a disease. A disease, is that right or wrong? Now, there are some people who could care less what their ideal body weight should be. There are most people who don't even know what their ideal, weight, ideal body weight should be. And because many a times, as long as the husband or wife is happy with a little extra, a lot of times they don't necessarily treat it with a sense of urgency to say, wait a minute, I need to do something about this. So what happens is you're finding a whole lot of people now who are living with obesity, which is a disease, and if you are obese and therefore have a disease, there's no way that you can truly be prospering and be in health. So you're missing out on God's great desire. There are some people that I know who have high blood pressure, and they just simply are trying to learn to live with it. People who have diabetes, and they're simply trying to learn how to live with it. There are people who have lots of different diseases and different problems, all sorts of sicknesses, but at the end of the day, they're just simply trying to live with it. And many a times, they will still consider themselves to be pretty healthy. So therefore, what we have to do is take our minds out of our own understanding and lean no longer to it, but now gain the understanding of God. How can we measure health from God's perspective? Because this is God's great desire. Now, the secret is in the verse. You want to know where the secret is? The secret's right here. It says that thou, all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, it's these two words right here. If you want to know biblically, how do I measure health from God's standpoint, then what you have to do is find out, the Bible says, I want you to prosper in health just as you prosper spiritually. The Bible says that, beloved, I wish that you would prosper in all things and prosper in health even as. Now, you will find that the word even as means just as thy soul prospers. If I were to say, do me a favor, set up all these chairs. Let's say this room was empty, and I said, do me a favor, set up all these chairs. You could set it up in circles, squares. You could set it up in any way you want, couldn't you? Because all I asked you to do is set up the chairs. But if I said, do me a favor, set up these chairs just as these chairs are set up, then now you can't just do what you want. You're going to have to do it exactly based on the model. Are you following? So therefore, when God says that, beloved, I wish that thou mayest prosper and be in health just as thy soul prospers, the only way you can measure health in the eyes of God is you must understand what God wants for people spiritually. Once you understand soul prosperity, you will better understand physical prosperity. So therefore, it leads to our next question. The next question now is this. How much does God want us to prosper spiritually? So notice what the Bible says. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 48, the Bible says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So therefore, God says, spiritually speaking, I expect you to be what? Perfect. We're talking about soul prosperity. Then it also says in Jude verse 24, you don't have to necessarily do 25, but Jude verse 24 says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you what? faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So Matthew 5, 48, God says, I expect you to be perfect. In Jude verse 24, God says, I expect you to be faultless. Now go to Revelation 3 verse 5. In Revelation 3 and verse 5, the Bible says this very, very clearly. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 5, the Bible says, he 
that overcometh. The same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So God says, even though we're in the battle with sin, he says, I expect you to what? Overcome. So here it is. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health just as thy soul prospers. What does God want from me spiritually speaking? He says, I expect you to be perfect. He says, I expect you to be faultless. And he says, I expect you to overcome. Therefore, what kind of health does God want me to have? Perfect health. What kind of health does God want me to have? Faultless health. And if I'm sick, God says, do not live with it. You must overcome. That should be the mindset of every physician dealing with every patient. Just because a man cannot figure out the disease doesn't mean that God is ignorant of it. God allows us to be limited so that we may access his throne and know how to overcome. Sometimes people say, Brother Lemon, there are certain drugs and natural remedies that cannot overcome certain sicknesses and disease. And yes, that may be true, but you know what I read in Medical Ministry, page 12? Medical Ministry, page 12 says, The influence of the Holy Spirit can bring healing to every organ of the body. The next paragraph says, the influence of the Holy Spirit is the very best medicine for every sick man and sick woman. Do you know how many medical missionaries will show you herbs before they show Jesus? Do you know how many physicians will show you a drug before they show you Jesus? Do you know how many individuals will go to all sorts of hydrotherapy massage? And I'm not saying that these things are bad, brothers and sisters, but what I'm saying is that we must give people the very best medicine. And that's why it's not enough to just be medical people. We need to be medical missionaries because only medical missionaries can give the very best medicine, which is that Holy Spirit. And so you'll find that now that we understand better how healthy healthy is, Now let's look at reality. You see, while God has an ideal, it is true that there is reality. And reality is revealed when we ask the question, what will be the condition of the world as it relates to health in the last days? Go to Matthew 24 with me. You see, in Matthew 24, God already told us that these things were going to take place. The Bible says in Matthew, the 24th chapter, when you get there, please say amen. Now the Bible says in Matthew 24, and we're looking at verses four to eight. And please, once again, when you get there, please say amen. Now, I want you to notice this. In Matthew 24, this is what it says. It says this, and Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, Jesus told us that of the last day events that were going to take place, one of them was pestilences, which we know to be diseases. Now, what's interesting is he said that these will be the beginning of sorrows. When you look up the terms beginning of sorrows, it is associated with a woman when she's pregnant going through birth pains. Now, when a woman goes through birth pains, mothers, correct me if I'm wrong, the first birth pain is typically not like the last. Is that right? It gets more rapid. 
Once the baby's about to come, it gets more rapid. So in like manner, Jesus said not only is there going to simply be disease in the world, but we'll start seeing a rapid succession of various diseases that will begin to flow all throughout the world. Great Controversy, page 589, spells it out like this. In Great Controversy 589, I want you to see what inspiration says. It says, while appearing to children of men as a great physician who can heal all their maladies, this is talking about Satan. It says, he will bring disease and disaster until populous cities are reduced to ruin and desolation. It says, even now he is at work in accidents and calamities by sea and land, in great conflagrations and fierce tornadoes and terrific hailstorms, in tempest floods, cyclones, tidal waves, and earthquakes, in every place and in a thousand forms, Satan is exercising his power. He sweeps away the ripening harvest, and famine and distress follow. He imparts to the air a deadly taint, and thousands perish by the pestilence. And the prophet says these visitations are to become more and more frequent and disastrous. And so we find that Jesus, when he said that this will be those birth pains, will start seeing a rapidity, a succession of all these different diseases that will start coming on the scene. So while God's ideal is that you and I would prosper and have perfect faultless overcoming health nine times out of ten, brothers and sisters. That's not our reality. And you know what's so sad? It should have been. You see, if we were following God's plan of health as he told us to, do you know that we would become what Paul says to be a spectacle to the world? They would look at Seventh-day Adventists, and because we were faithful to all of that which Christ put on the blueprint on how to take care of the human machinery, they would have been able to say, man, it seems like we have all the diseases in the world. But every time we see these Seventh-day Adventists, they're not sitting around in the the same hospital rooms with us. They're not sitting around in the same clinics with us. They're not there also suffering with the same diseases as us. And they would naturally ask the question, what are you doing? I remember one time I went to get a checkup. And I went to get a checkup at the doctor, and when I got my checkup and uh, they, they took all the blood and everything, then, you know how it is, you got to wait a couple of days, and then they call you back. Well, a few days went by, and I didn't hear anything. So I started to get a little nervous. I was like, well, I wonder what's going on. Here it is that after a while, they didn't call me, so I called them. So I called them, and I called the doctor, and I said, listen, you know, I took a blood test a few days ago, haven't heard back from you all. Uh, what's happening? And they said, you know what? The doctor really wanted to talk to you. Now, brothers and sisters, (laughs) if you go to get a checkup, you don't hear from the doctor for a few days, you call the doctor and you hear someone say, the doctor really wants to talk to you. Chances are you're going to start thinking some negative thoughts. Is that right? So I said, can I talk to the doctor on the phone? They said, oh, she's busy right now. I said, I'm coming over. So I jumped in the car, I zipped over there, and I walked through the door, and when I got there, I, I, this is a true story, I got to the door and I said, um, hi, my name is Dwayne Lemon, I'm here to see the doctor, and the young lady looks at me and she says, Dr. So-and-so really wants to talk to you. <laughs> so now I'm looking at this and I'm saying, Father, please be with me. You said your spirit is the best medicine. I'm already thinking I'm sick now. And here it is that I go to the doctor. The doctor says, Mr. Lemon, please come in my office. Came into the office. They put the paper down. They said, Mr. Lemon, I need to understand something. I said, what's that? She said, you have a perfect bill of health. 
She said, we're not used to seeing this. What are you doing? Naturally, I calmed down. (laughs) And I began to share with her what I'm doing. God says, I wanted my people to be a spectacle, that the world would look at us and they would be able to look at us and they would be able to say, what's going on with you people? You're not suffering like others are suffering. You're different. And it was the door that was opened that we could bring in the gospel. Now, the reality is, is that sickness and disease is running rampant through the world. Sickness and disease is also running rampant through the church. Many of God's people are suffering with sickness. We gloat over the fact we're number seven in National Geographic, but I'm sorry. Everything that God does is best. I've learned that better is the greatest enemy of best. When I look at us being number seven, I say, Father, forgive us because you told us to be the head and not the tail. How can a new ager be better than me? How can a Buddhist be in better condition than me? How could a Hindu be in better position than me? They don't know the God of heaven. So we ought not to gloat so quickly. Thank God, yes, we're number seven, but brothers and sisters, strive to be number one. To be that spectacle to the world. Now, one of the reasons why there's so much sickness and disease running through the world is because there was a specific instrument. How widespread will disease be in the last days? Go to the book of Hosea, chapter 3. I want you to see this now. Hosea, the third chapter. In Hosea, chapter 3, notice what the Bible says as we consider verse 5. This was a two-fold prophecy. The first application of this prophecy we are about to review applied to the Assyrians that were getting ready to come and take Israel captive, but there's also a last day connection to this very same prophecy. Now, I want you to notice what the Bible says in Hosea chapter 3 and verse 5. It says, Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the wind. The latter days. Now, watch what was going to start taking place in the latter days. Not again just in his first application, but in its second. Because remember, David was dead. So therefore, this couldn't be literal. Are you following? So watch this now. It says in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, because when the Bible was written, there were no splitting up of chapters. There was a continuation of the chapters and the verses. So now look at what it says. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. Do we see that today? Do we see a lack of truth today? Do we see a lack of mercy today? Do we see that individuals are void of the knowledge of God today? So that's accurate. Verse 2, it says, by swearing and lying and killing and committing of adultery, they break out and blood toucheth blood. Do we see these things happening today? Yes, we do. Now, what's the very first word in verse 3? Therefore, that means because of this. It says, therefore shall the land mourn, and everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish. The word languish means to become enfeebled and diseased and waste away. What was it that the prophet Hosea saw that in the last days would become enfeebled and diseased and begin to waste away. It says, with the beasts of the field. You mean Hosea saw E. coli that long ago? You mean Hosea saw mad cow disease that long ago? 
And it didn't just say with the beasts of the field. It also says with the fowls of the heaven. You mean he saw bird flu and salmonella and the chicken and all this stuff that long ago? And all these people who love to say Jesus ate fish, listen to this. Jesus inspired through his spirit Hosea to say the last point. Yea, the fishes of the sea shall also be taken away. God prophesied that in the last days, the animal kingdom was going to become enfeebled and diseased, and we are simply seeing it. This is why God gave the movement a message to call people to get off of the flesh pots of Egypt. But you know what? Many of us are just like Israel in the book of Numbers when we said we are tired of all this manna. Give us the flesh pots of Egypt. And here goes God saying, you don't understand. I was trying to in love warn you that in the last days, these things are going to be unfit for human consumption. And as a result of this, it was going to bring about the very thing that I don't want you to have, sickness and disease. And because many of God's people are still indulging in it, no wonder we still have high blood pressure like everybody else. No wonder we still have diabetes like everybody else. No wonder we're still struggling with obesity and several other types of problems and challenges just like everybody else. Over 100 years ago, God said that the time was going to come that we need to get off of eggs and cheese. And today we still make products with it, and we go ahead and we consume it ourselves. When he said over 100 years ago, the time is going to come to get off of it. Brothers and sisters, eggs is the number two most allergenic food on earth. Eggs are porous. Therefore, when the chicken leaves all its feces on it, and then when they spray the chemicals to watch the feces off of it, it's getting through the pores and seeping into the egg white. Fish is the number one most allergenic food on earth. Carries the highest level of contaminants, toxins and everything. So here it is, God is saying, I'm trying to educate my people. I tried to show them that in the last days, these things were going to become enfeebled and diseased. But it seems like we don't want to listen. Therefore, we get the reward of our indulgences. We eat the food, we get the disease. And I shall say this. Many people will say, oh, well, God said clean meat, and I don't care what Ellen White says. Brothers and sisters, first of all, if you're a seven-day Adventist, you should care what Ellen White says because you don't want to be recognized as a liar. Because if the church was faithful, that means that when we uh, were given our vows, they ask the question, do you believe that we have the gift of prophecy in this church? So if you said yes, you gotta, you're going to have to come face to face with the fact, did I lie or did I not? That's point number one. Point number two, Third Selected Messages, page 84, says, know this for a certainty that those seven-day Adventists who will join under Satan's banner will first give up their belief in the testimonies of God's Spirit. When individuals start saying, I don't want to hear what Ellen White says and all this other stuff, brothers and sisters, they don't even realize they are preparing themselves to join under Satan's banner. And so you find that God is saying, why won't you and I be consistent? And you know what? If you don't want to hear Jesus, you can listen to Barabbas. You can see the world telling us that this stuff is unclean. That's why you got all these New Age restaurants making all the money you were supposed to be making. That's sad, brothers. The New Agers have absolutely... You know, every time we pass these Buddhist and New Age, New Age restaurants, it's like a slap in Seventh-day Adventist face. They're saying, this, they're saying to us, this is what you should have been doing. This is what you were supposed to set up. 
And you could have done it with the gospel. And you know what they're doing? They're taking their, their false third angel's message and combining it with their health reform. And that's why when you go in there, they're slipping these little magazines to you, teaching you about all these different gods with two heads and 13 arms and all these other crazy things, brothers and sisters. God says, that was your opportunity. That was my opportunity. And so we find that sickness and disease is running rampant throughout the churches and throughout the world, and people are sick and dying, brothers and sisters. And God is saying, will you please get back onto my health program? Get back on it. Now, whenever a person gets sick, God gave us biblical instructions on what to do. Notice, the Bible says in Proverbs 26, 2. Let's go to Proverbs 26 and verse 2. Proverbs 26 and verse 2. In Proverbs, the 26th chapter, notice what the Bible says. When you get there, please say amen. The Bible says in Proverbs 26, 2, as the bird by wandering and as the swallow by flying, what does it say next? So the curse causeless shall not come. Now, that's significant. The reason why that's significant is because is it natural for a bird to wander from place to place? Yes. Is it natural for a swallow to fly? Yes. It says, so it is that the curse never comes without a cause. The curse caused less shall not come. Now, the reason why this is significant is because when you and I faithfully follow what the Bible says in Deuteronomy, the 15th chapter, you will find that the Bible calls diseases curses. This is how Ellen White came up with this thought in Ministry of Healing, page 126, where she says, disease never comes without a cause. And so it is that when an individual has a sickness or disease or a physical problem or a mental problem or a spiritual problem, God says, don't deal with the symptoms. Do what Job 29, 16 says. Go to Job 29. In Job 29 and verse 16, notice what the Bible says. The Bible says in Job 29 and verse 16, and when you get there, please say amen. After you understand that the curse never comes without a cause, then the principle in Job 29, 16 says, I was a father to the poor, and the cause which I knew not, I searched it out. So therefore, disease never comes without a cause. Problems do not come without a cause. Just because the medical world may say we can't find a cause does not mean there is not a cause. It just means we have to, we have to acknowledge a different information source. Disease never comes without a cause. And therefore, what we need to do is search out the cause and not get so stuck on simply treating symptoms. When a child is rebellious in a home, that's a symptom. The question is, what's the cause? And a lot of times, you know why children act up so much? It's because of their parents. How do I know that? Adventist Home, page 16. It says in Adventist Home, page 16, it says to a large degree. To a what degree? It says to a large degree, the mother and the father create the atmosphere in the home. 
And it says, and when husband and wife harbor difference against one another, it says the children partake of the same spirit. Many a times when you see little boys and little girls, brothers and sisters fighting against each other, and we say, why are you doing that? You should stop that. Why are you fighting your brother and sister? The Spirit of God is saying, because you keep fighting your wife. Because you keep fighting your husband. Because you two are still holding on to anger, bitterness, and resentment, and you won't let me take it away from you, and you won't remove that pride so I can show you how to overcome. And because you harbor it, I'm going to show you how it's going to have an atmosphere in your home, and your children will partake of it. That's what happens when you start to have the ascertain the cause mindset rather than the treat the symptom mindset. We will begin to understand that, brothers and sisters, if the young people in the church are disinterested in Christ and it seems like they don't want to have anything to do with God, that's a symptom. What you have to do is ascertain the cause. Now, brothers and sisters, I have learned that some of the most responsive people to present truth is young people. What's happening is that the young people, many a times, they're not getting present truth. They're not getting the truth for this time. They're not understanding how does this word apply to me. Even worse is testimonies to ministers and gospel workers. Page 415 says that we should gather the young men and the young women together in our churches and that we should teach them medical missionary work and combine it with the proclamation of the third angel's message. And she says this will literally bring the breath of life back into dead churches. We keep giving them all these things to treat the symptoms, and we're not ascertaining the cause. So therefore, God says, ascertain the cause, and after we ascertain the cause, then we are to provide the remedy. Now, understanding this, we're going to look at a few points and then close. What are the reasons for disease? There are spiritual reasons that people get sick. Then there are physical reasons. And then there are reasons of God's opportunities. Now, you write those verses down. Just to give you an example of a spiritual reason, you remember Numbers chapter 12, verses 5 through 10. That's talking about Miriam. You remember Miriam got sick. She had what disease? Leprosy. Is leprosy a real disease? Yes, it is. Now, if you were to ascertain the cause, why did Miriam get sick? Was it because she didn't drink enough water? Was it because she didn't get enough exercise? No, Miriam suffered a real disease because of the fact that she was backbiting against the man of God. Is that right? So therefore, brothers and sisters, Miriam got sick with disease because of sin. You remember the man in John chapter 5 who was at the pool of Bethesda. He was sick too. Jesus heals him. And what did he say in verse 14? He says, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. What caused him to be sick? Sin. So therefore, one reason why people suffer with sickness and disease is because they are indulging and living in the habits and lifestyle of sin. Now, in most medical practices today, you're not going to necessarily be able to tell people that. That's going to be a challenge to do. Are you following? And that's why many a times our professional health workers they, 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 they almost have their hands hot, tied behind their backs because perhaps they may see that these individuals who they are vi who's visiting their, their practices and stuff, they may see that, oh, if, if, if only they knew the gospel, this would bring healing to them, but they can't give it because of policies and procedures, because of the fact that many a times we're working in hospitals when God told us to set up sanitariums. Did you catch that? 
And so you'll find that many of the reasons why people get sick is because they violate the commandments of God, sin. Now, the second reason, you look at things like Ezekiel. Now, it should be 1644. I don't, uh, no, 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 actually it is 49. In Ezekiel 1649, it talks about, a lot of people don't think that diet and, and health and, and, and lifestyle affects people's salvation. Brothers and sisters, when you read Ezekiel 1649, let's go there very quickly. Ezekiel 16 and verse 49. I want you to see what the Bible says. In Ezekiel 16 and verse 49, here's what the Bible says. When you get there, say amen. Now, the Bible says in Ezekiel 16, 49, it says, Behold, this was the iniquity. Now, will iniquity separate us from God? Yes. But there are many people who say my eating and drinking habits do not affect my salvation. But notice what the Bible says. It says, This was the iniquity. Of thy sister Sodom. So whatever's listed next, the Bible calls it iniquity, and iniquity separates us from God. Is that right? What's the first thing on the list? Pride. What's the second thing? Fullness of bread. What's that? Gluttony. What's another word for gluttony or another term for gluttony? Overeating. Brothers and sisters, the Bible calls overeating an act of iniquity. Now, keep in mind that John 3.19 says this is condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light. So, therefore, it is not that God is saying if you overate, you're condemned. God is saying, listen, if you don't know, if you never understood these principles, then God says, then I need to educate you. But once we're educated and once we know, he says, repent. Your body's not your own. You can't, you can't even feed it what you want. That's why Deuteronomy in chapter 2120, it says that when a child was gluttonous, that the parents were, supposed, were actually supposed to take the child to the elders. And if the child would not stop their gluttony, you know God gave the instruction to stone the child to death? That's how much God hates gluttony. Because God knows that when we overeat, it has an effect on the mind similar to what alcohol does. That's why in Proverbs 23, 21, it says the drunkard and the glutton shall both come to poverty. God literally looks at them on the same par. So God hates gluttony. Therefore, he says don't do it. So some people suffer with sickness and disease because they violate God's commandments. Some people suffer with sickness and disease because they're violating God's law. And then, of course, the story of John 9 where... The man was born blind. The disciples asked the question, what happened? Was it his sin or his parents? And you remember Jesus said, neither. This disease came upon him so that the works of God would be made manifest. And so you'll find, brothers and sisters, that now we must understand this, the solution. The solution, we can look at Jeremiah 33, 6. Behold, I will bring it health and cure, and I will cure them and will reveal unto them the abundance of peace and truth. Exodus 15, 26, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and will do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord thy God that healeth thee. Exodus 15, 26. So God says, I have the ability to preserve. I have the ability to even cure in many respects. But God says, you're going to have to get on my plan versus the world's plan. This is why it becomes imperative that when we want healing and when we want restoration, that we need to make sure that we come on God's program. And brothers and sisters, you know God's program. It's very well. Now, 
This is just simply providing that, oh, Deuteronomy 28. I said Deuteronomy 15. It was Deuteronomy 28 starting at verse 15 where it lists all those diseases. You'll remember that the Bible in verse 22 called tuberculosis, or rather called consumption, is actually tuberculosis and emphysema today. This is just through medical research. A fever today, chills and shivering fits. Inflammation, arthritis, bronchitis, all those things that end with ITIS. Botch, that's where you get chicken pox and hives. Emrods is where you get tumors, hemorrhoids, and cancer. These were the things listed in Deuteronomy 28 from verses 15 to 63 that God says, if you follow my commands, if you follow my laws, he says, I will preserve you from getting these things. So I want you to think about that. Emphysema, tuberculosis, chills and shivering fits, arthritis and so on, chicken pox and hives, tumors, hemorrhoids and cancer, all these different things. God says, if you do things my way, he says, I'll preserve you from getting these things. It's a promise hard to believe in a world that is so anti-God, but God's promises are still sure. And so you'll find that after we understand these things, God says that I have a solution and it's found in the creation week. Now, here's what's beautiful, and we're going to go through these fairly quickly because they have to have us wrap up in here at a fairly decent hour. So therefore, I'm going to go through these fairly quickly. Many a times when we hear about the laws of health, we think this is something that Sister White conjured up. I have learned that the writings of Ellen White are like a magnifying glass. It does not put something there that wasn't there because a magnifying glass doesn't do that. It doesn't take away something that was there because a magnifying glass doesn't do that either. You know what a magnifying glass does? It makes clear that which was already there. So that what you'll find is when you look at these beautiful laws of health, it's not that it wasn't in the Bible, it's just that we couldn't find it. So God had to give us a magnifying glass so we could see it a little more clearly. But you'll find that the principle of each of the laws of health was right there in the Bible. And so you'll find that the solution is in the creation week. We'll go past this for time. Oh, well, this point is important. You remember when God said it was good when he created everything and he said it is good or it was very good? I do want you to see this one point. It's talking about the word Taub, T-O-W-B, and it actually means beneficial. So when God finished making the open air, he said it was beneficial. When God made the sunlight, he said it was beneficial. When God made the rivers of waters, he actually said it was beneficial. So I want you to hold on to that. Now, of course, the first law of health, you're dealing with nutrition. Now, these are things that you already know, I'm sure. And the nutrition principle is in Genesis 1:29, when God gave the diet unto mankind, when he talked about every tree that grows, every herb that grows off of the tree and so on. Now, what's interesting is that even when flesh meat without blood was consumed, I want you to see what happened in people's life, and this is why this is the best diet for mankind, a plant-based diet. Notice, when you do a comparison of the 10 generations before and after the flood, it's interesting that you'll notice before eating flesh, you had Adam who lived to 930, Seth 912, Enos 905, Canaan 910, Mahalalel 895, Jared 962, Enoch 365, and that's because he never died. Methuselah, 969, Lamech, 777, Noah, 950. This is before eating flesh. After eating flesh, it was very interesting that this started to happen. Shem, 600, Arphaxad, 438, Selah, 433, 
Eber, 464. Peleg, 239. Ryu, 239. Seruk, 230. Nahor, 148. Terah, 205. Abraham, 175. This is when man was eating meat without blood and without flat. Most of us who even consume flesh today, I'm telling you right now, if you are eating meat, chicken, beef, or fish, if you are eating meat and it is not halal or kosher, you are just as much a sinner as the person who is snacking on red lobster. Why? Because the same God who said do not eat unclean animals is the same God who said do not eat anything with blood or fat in it. It was a teaching before there was a Jewish man on the earth. You read it in Genesis 9, verses 4 and 5, and you also read it in Acts 15, verses 19 and 20, as well as 29 and 30. It's an Old Testament, New Testament, non-Jewish teaching that God says no fat, no blood when you eat animal flesh. Today, if you're buying meat from the regular grocery stores, if you're getting it from the regular restaurants, all I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is to be consistent with the Scriptures. We are no different in the eyes of God than the person who eats swine and eats the lobster, the crab, and the shrimp, and the list goes on. No difference. We are both violating God's laws of health as expressed in the Bible. But this is what happened to people who was eating flesh without the blood, without the flat, before contaminants and all this other stuff, and it still drained their lifespan. That's why God in his message of health reform is calling people back to the natural diet. Because remember, food gets broken down into blood. Blood feeds the brain. The brain is where we get our thoughts. Our thoughts repeated form, our thoughts is where we get our actions. Our actions repeated form habits. Our habits is what makes up our character, and our character determines our destiny. That's the connection between food and salvation. Food gets broken down to blood. Blood feeds the brain. The brain is where we get our thoughts. Our thoughts is where we do our actions. Our actions repeated is where we develop our habits. Our habits is what forms our character, and the character determines the destiny. Now, you might say, wow, Brother Lemon, that's powerful. It is powerful, but I didn't make it up. I'm too dumb to do that. You get that from Councils on Diets and Foods, page 404, and Christ Object Lessons, page 356. All you got to do is read the gifts that God has given to us. Nothing deep. Just read the gifts that God has given to us. And so God says nutrition. Let's bring it to a close. God gave us exercise. That was in Genesis 2, 15, when he caused Adam to both dress and keep the garden. Water. That was in Genesis Chapter 2 and verse 10, when God set up all the various different rivers, that's how man got their water source, because remember, it didn't rain. Sunshine, that's Genesis 1, 16, 17, and 18. And God said that when he gave all these things, remember, he said it was good, yea, beneficial. So it's there in the Bible. Of course, temperance. Where do we find temperance in the Bible? Easy. When God said, of all the trees you may freely eat, but you have to practice temperance and not eat of a specific tree. Is that right? So temperance was right there in the garden as well. Open air. Where was that? That was right there in the second day. Genesis 1 and verse 6, when God made the firmaments. 
And then he spread them out. And God called the firmament heaven, sky, or atmosphere. When God made the open air, he said it was very good. And that's why we should get not just air, but we should get open air. I like adjectives. It's not enough to get open. It's not enough to get air. You got to get open air. It's not enough to get rest. You got to get proper rest. It's not enough to get exercise. You got to get daily exercise. I like those adjectives. These are the things that make up these laws of health found in the Bible that God says, this was my plan on how to preserve my people from getting sick and filled with disease and not being able to be the witness I've called them to be in this world. Rest, well, you know the text for that, don't you? Genesis 2, 2, when God created the Sabbath and he gave that principle of rest, trusting in God, same text. You remember that we looked in Genesis 2, 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. But then in Genesis 3, 4, the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. And it was right there that she had to find out who does she trust. Do I trust the serpent or do I trust God? All of these principles that make up these laws of health, you can find them right around the time of the creation story. If we just faithfully study the Word of God, God says, when you put my laws of health into practice, God says, that's where the blessing is. Today we say, we need to drink water, but how many of us do it? We need to get proper rest, but then we're up late, 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 late at night. So we talk about it, brothers and sisters, but as I've been saying all this weekend, when will we do it? Are you following? And so we find that God says, when I gave these eight laws of health, I gave nutrition Exercise, water, sunshine, temperance, air, rest, and trust in God. God says, I gave all of these things for my people. And what was the key reason why God did it? The key reason God did it is because of this very important question. Why is taking care of my body so important? The reason is 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you how? Holy. That's completely. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. My hope and my prayer is that we will take very, very seriously the fact that God has called us to put into practice his message of health reform, that we will understand the role that it plays in finishing this work, him finishing the work in us, and then him finishing the work through us to the world so that finally we can be a people prepared to meet our God. And so, brothers and sisters, if you know that you have not been cooperating with God as it relates to his laws of health, not just knowing it, but doing it, and this is the great call that God is placing upon our hearts right now. How many of us by the raise of hands says, Lord, I will no longer talk about your laws of health. I will no longer have retained in my mind the information about your laws of health, but by your grace and by your power, I will put into faithful practice your laws of health. Would you please raise your hand with me? What you'll find, brothers and sisters, is that when we do this, we're cooperating with God because to violate the laws of health is to sin against God. And that's why God says, I want you to cooperate with me because I want to fit your mind because Romans 7.25 says we serve the law of God with our minds. And the food we eat and the way we rest and the lifestyles we live has a direct effect on the condition of the mind. May we cooperate with God. Amen. Now, as we close, we have a six-minute clip that we want to put on for you. 
I mentioned earlier today about a training school, and by the grace of God, we're putting this training school together. It is not set up yet. We are in the process of setting it up. But what we did was when my wife and my children and I went to Australia last year, we were privileged to train missionaries out there. We had 45 students in our class, and we were able to train them in the threefold work that God has called to finish the work, which is found in the book Evangelism, page 547. Gospel ministry, medical missionary work, and the publishing work. And God allowed us to do that program, and we were training the missionaries there, and the Lord did marvelous miracles in their own personal lives, as well as the work that they're doing now in Australia. It was recorded. So now there are DVDs that have been put together as a means that if an individual cannot go to the schools, this is a means of how we can get the schools to come into our homes. And so I want you to look at this six-minute clip. It's going to give you an idea that if you believe God is calling you to get trained— so that you can understand how to go forward and finish the work in the work that God has called us to do. We want you to look at this video, and this will be our closing point, and then we'll officially pray out, and then we will go ahead and conclude our evening. So go ahead, if you don't mind, and then we'll bring everything to a close. It has been a privilege to serve all of you, and it's been a blessing to be here at Advent Hope. I want to thank all of those who are in charge of the invitation on bringing us here. And I pray that our hearts have been revived and reformed. Can you say amen to that? Amen. May you go forward in the work that God has given unto us, and may we truly go forward and do as Jesus did and finish the work. Amen. At this time, we're going to invite everyone to stand as we close with prayer. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful, Lord, for another Sabbath day that has now gone into eternity. Lord, we pray for your divine blessings to continue to be with us, and that you may help us to go on from strength to strength. Lord, we realize there will be several challenges that will be ahead of us, but we know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. May you keep us faithful even unto death, for it is then and only then that we shall receive our crown of life. Thank you, dear God, again for the time that we fellowship with heaven. May you continue to keep us as we prepare to head to our several destinations, for we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This message is produced by PTH Ministries. Our mission is to spread the three angels' messages through preaching and teaching the Seventh-day Adventist message and to integrate healing through medical missionary work in declaring the gospel. For more information on our ministry and the resources we provide, please log on to our website at www.pthministries.com. That's www.pthministries.com. Or you can call us at 770-274-9537. That's 770-274-9537. May we do our part to meet the needs of humanity through the everlasting gospel and hasten Christ's return. Maranatha.